Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's episode is an interview with director Joanne Bretchen and writer Claire Harris. Uh, they're completing their film Zealous Lloyd, and they've got about 30 days left on their quest to finance the post-production of this film. The film Lloyd is about a man who would never cheat, is asked by the woman he loves to have sex with someone else to save their relationship, a compromise which may ultimately destroy them as love becomes corroded by jealousy. That's the IMDb version, Lloyd. The plot is that the female in the relationship goes overseas and presumably has some kind of affair. Then when she gets back, she doesn't want to break up with this guy she's with, and so she encourages him to also cheat so then they can be even, I suppose, which is it's a basic premise, and I think it could be a great little movie. I'm really looking forward to seeing this one, you know, come to fruition. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash zealousmovie. And the website is www.zealousthemovie.com. And guys, uh, at the end of this, we will be letting you know all about how we can finance this film um, and let's get it finished in post-production. But for now, on with the interview. Welcome to the podcast, Joanne and Claire. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So we're here to talk about your film, Zealous, and uh, I was curious, guys, how did the two of you meet? You first? <laughs> uh, we met at AFTERS, uh, Australian Film Television and Radio School, um, in 2013 in screenwriting course. Yeah, so we met there and kind of couldn't have been more opposite to each other, <laughs> like in every single way, um, but we got on really well, and, um, and then Zealous was the project that Claire developed across the course over that year. Did you always want to make films? or? Well, I, I, I did, and I'd been making films before I went to Afters and before I met Claire. Um, so I'd been making films for probably about five years by then, made a few shorts and music videos and things like that as a freelancer. And I didn't really know what I wanted. I went travelling for all of my 20s, and I thought that at some point I might grow up and be a novelist, but that never quite eventuated. I'm working on uh, several novels at the moment, so I know the feeling... Uh, what uh, important things did you learn at film, television, radio school? Um, I think it taught us, well, for me, um, how to take feedback was a really, really important part of it and also how to um, decide what feedback was constructive and what didn't fit with your vision and also when your vision maybe wasn't, the, you know, the correct, needed to be shaped in a different way. So that was a huge part. And also just about general storytelling techniques and structure, which was something that I was seriously lacking knowledge in until I got to afters. I know uh, lots of my friends watched Adaptation and then all read Robert McKee's book Story, and that was like a good way of learning the structures and principles of screenwriting. I'll start with you, Claire. Um, how did you, you know, come up with the idea for this, uh, for Zealous? Um, nothing to do with my life, nothing. 
<laughs> Not even closely related. Um, nice. It's all nice. <laughs> I, it actually started as a short story back in the time when I was aspiring to be a novelist. I thought it might one day be a novel, which drew on, let's just say, general relationship experiences and not necessarily that there was infidelity within those relationships, but I guess most relationships probably, you know, touch the subject of infidelity in one way or another at some point. Um, so I thought it was interesting to explore those ideas. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, I suppose it helps that um, when you're in that age bracket and you can see the other people around you who are also in relationships, gives you a lot of material and, and stuff to pull from as well. well I yeah, I definitely spoke to a lot of different people when I was writing it. So I wasn't just drawing on my own experiences, but sort of things that seemed to be common to a lot of relationships and a lot of people around my age and, you know, my mm -hmm. stage of life. But I think it's, it's not just that age group, because I know when I first heard Claire pitch the idea that just that concept of if your partner cheats, do you take the opportunity to get even, like do two wrongs make a right? And it was almost like a penny dropping of going, that is so universal and simple and like it would have like it would have been a thought that crossed everybody's mind and yet nobody had really done it as a concept and i think you know it's pretty well i think we all have had those thoughts at one point or another in a relationship and where does the title come from so again the short story so zealous is the root of two english words which are zeal uh, jealousy and zeal and Basically, I was I was um, interested in the idea that for the Greeks, these weren't, you know, they were flip sides of the coin and they weren't necessarily a positive and a negative. They were just, they were, you know, passion and suspicion were two things that sort of went hand in hand. And I think in the, in the original writing, I sort of explored that idea and then that got phased out once it got to the screenplay stage for very good reasons because it didn't really fit but the idea remained and the title remained well when it changed from the short film to the feature was there any discussion to change the title um not really. i don't think there was i mean we we did discuss the idea that we kind of threw it around a little bit and a few people's first reaction to the word zealous was more like one if it was like a sci-fi or some sort of like a different genre um but it was always, it kind of worked as a talking point because people would question that and then when you explained, you know, what Claire did about the origins of the word and how it ties into the themes and people kind of seemed doubly interested. Yeah. Well, I, we yeah. Liked, I like to think that people would actually go and look it up. Like I remember watching Straw Dogs. I don't know if you've seen it, the, mm -hmm. the Dustin Hoffman film. And apparently originally they included within the, you know, within the film a, an explanation of what Straw Dogs actually meant and then decided to cut it and then but then one of the things now is like when the audience when people watch it they then go and look that up which is you know make forces sort of an extra level of engagement with the film i guess and yeah adding research yeah, yeah. so did you guys think i want to make a comedy about 30 somethings was that the approach i'm not sure it's a comedy actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> bleak it's more of a dramedy like it's it's a drama essentially there's moments of comedy yeah and not and not like comedy for comedy's sake that was never the intention it's like it's yeah 
more like life moments. Certainly when I wrote it, I I wasn't intending to write a comedy. Yeah, it just, I guess some humor worked its way into it. But overall, I would say that the the story is a drama. Yeah. Because of the themes that it explores. Well, there were some humorous moments in the teaser, which we'll put a link to on our Facebook yeah. page. Claire, how did you find writing male characters? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> So when I first wrote the screenplay, um, my idea was to have the male and female leads equally weighted in in the story. So it would be kind of shifting between his perspective and her perspective. And I got really stuck with that because the female character doesn't really have a lot of room to move on her emotional journey, whereas he had a lot more room to move. So it kind of accidentally skewed towards the male and then he ended up being being the protagonist. So I didn't set out to write a, a male lead per se and I found that talking to a lot of men and taking copious notes while they were drunk and honest was, <laughs> was, was really was quite helpful. And to, yeah, talking to men in that age group as well, um, you know, about relationships but also about, you know, how they they saw their lives <laughs> yeah well the alcohol definitely probably helped there's so much alcohol written into the into the film there's a lot of drinking in that well what um <laughs> scenes did you find difficult to write then um the the there's the final scene is sort of a confrontation between the the male and female characters you know where all of the and it's quite a long scene um and everything sort of comes to a head and all of the relationship issues come out. I procrastinated enormously on that scene. For a long time, there was actually a screenplay with just a big hole in it that said, <laughs> that said explosive showdown and skip to like <laughs> the, the couple of scenes, a few scenes that happen after that. So, yeah. Well, it's good to have an explosive showdown in the third act of a script. Um, <laughs> you know, something for two characters in a character-driven piece to work towards. So, yeah, well yeah. done. Uh, tell us what authors or screenwriters, you know, uh, who do you, who inspires you? Who do you look up to? Independent filmmakers who write and direct and produce their own works, mostly on micro-budget films, uh, micro-budgets and... Um, you know, they tend to be very character-driven and very dialogue-driven, and those are the writers who I... I mean, obviously, in writing this, because we always intended to make it, but those are that's the kind of writing and film that I really admire. So the Duplass brothers, Lynn Shelton, people like that, and also um, in that vein, sort of earlier filmmakers, um, Woody Allen, though it's not very kosher to say that anymore, Richard Linklater... Miranda July. In terms of novels, do you want do you want that as well? <laughs> no, that's okay. We can stick with film at the moment. We had another guy on the podcast who I interviewed recently named Chris Parlow, and uh, he was into mumblecore as well. And his debut film, Play It Safe, we we interviewed him on a previous episode about. So I guess the mumblecore movement does inspire people to do their first film. So. Back in July 2015, you guys performed the script live. Uh, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. Um, so i'd I'd been I'd been working on the on this. I'd I'd finished the first draft, and then I'd been working on it and reworking it and editing it, and um, for about a year. And then you, I, you kind of get to a point where you have no idea anymore whether 
what you're doing, the changes that you're making are good or bad or terrible. So the next step was sort of to actually, I, uh, you know, feedback on it and also just to hear it performed because obviously reading a screenplay in your head isn't anything like what it actually sounds like when it's when it's performed. Um, I think that's something we really learned from actors. Like, I think yeah. like, matches yeah. where yeah, each week we would have to bring in a scene and then have it read aloud in the class and. Yeah, you learn very because that's the best way to get feedback. Yeah. yeah. And then it just seems like, yeah, so it sort of seemed like the logical next step. And the Hub Studio is a, a space in Sydney that has acting workshops and so on, but they also facilitate uh, script re- public script readings every month. So I submitted it there and then, and then Joe came on board to direct it and then we decided to kind of use that as our vehicle to to get things rolling and to work off the, we had about 50 people watch it and get, have, we had a discussion afterwards. So we, we worked off that feedback to keep working the script. And we also got some of the actors, the original actors who are in that script reading mm-hmm. um, came on for the film as well. So it kind of kick-started the whole mm-hmm. process. Which is actually quite miraculous given that, I came on board to direct the script, the script reading three days before the script reading. Yeah. I found out about it. And then we sat in a room and had about two hours to cast the whole thing based off a random database of actors. Oh, yeah, that was intense. And then have like two nights of rehearsals before it. And so, yeah, in, in all of that chaos, I think from the, the script reading cast, four of our Four of those actors are actually in the film in quite substantial parts. So you had directed some short films previously, Joanne. How did you find the jump to features? Um, Madness. I mean, short films are sort of... I mean, they're madness as well. Any filmmaking is madness. But it's sort of like a contained chaos because you know you've only got, you know, a four-day shoot or a weekend shoot. So you can pull 16-hour days and not sleep knowing that at the end of five days you can sleep for a week. And then... I guess it's a whole different type of stamina to have to do that for 20 days straight, you know, and still existing on three hours sleep each night for 20 days and living in an apartment with two other crew members and um, on like living on set with other crew members. It, it was chaotic, very chaotic, but, but also like more rewarding in the fact that um, I think what's really wonderful about film sets, like in any filmmaker will know that you kind of, you enter into this <laughs> this process and very quickly all these strangers who have come on board to collaborate like, really become a family and you really are a team working towards a creative vision. I think in, in a short film it's, it's really awesome because you spend three days with these people and the bond you make with them in, in achieving this creative vision is incredible that then it ends three days later and you kind of, you miss it and you feel like, you know, you'll never get that back. And, and so to be able to sustain that over 20 days it really strengthens the process. And because then after three days where you kind of really become this well-oiled machine, normally the short film ends. But in this case, we got to keep going and we really were for a completely under-equipped, under-budgeted, under-crewed film. We worked really well. It's kind of like going to camp, isn't it? I mean, you all kind of get together for this project for a limited time and you only have that sort of time to collaborate, hey? Yeah, and I mean, even people who like especially casts who have worked on big budgets and lots of projects would come on for a day or two and 
and they'd be like, this doesn't even feel like a film set. Like it didn't have the chaos and the noise and the madness that a normal film set has because we were just, I think we picked the right people and we set such a good tone on set that it was a really pleasant place to be. Yeah. And also the fact that it was quite a small crew mm. and a small team, I think, made it sort of function yeah. in some ways. Well, it kept it so intimate and it kept everybody, you know, there was no nobody on set who you could kind of just like go and sit and drink coffee for two hours and kind of then just come when caught. Like everybody was full on, like hands on for the full 14 hours every day. So I think everybody really took ownership of that and wanted to play their part, which just made it work really well. And did you always want to direct Joanne? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I came to this through writing. Um, I'm a writer-director, but, yeah, very quickly, I think, once you write something, and it's something I respect Claire for a lot, like, once you write something, you can't imagine anybody else understanding it to the level that you do that I ever felt like I could hand it over to somebody else to do. So I guess from that came directing. But, I mean, and that was a really interesting thing about our process is that I guess Claire didn't have any experience directing. Otherwise, I assume she kind of would have directed it herself. But uh, maybe not after seeing how it went. <laughs> but like hard work. And I think that's something it was, I mean, I really respect about this process and working with Claire because I've never, I've directed things that other people have wrote and that I've, um, I've co-written with. Stepping up to my first feature with somebody else's scripts, even though Claire and I did work on it a lot together and make some changes before we shot and things, I was pretty blown away by how much creative license Claire gave me and that was just able to hand over and say, make the film. Yeah, because that's brave and I've not yet been able to do that. So it was shot in Sydney. Was there any temptation to shoot anything overseas? I know the lead character has an affair overseas. Uh, not with the budget we had. Well, I always knew <laughs> yeah. that we had to be able to shoot it, so yeah. um, I didn't write any overseas scenes into it. It so. would have been shot on an iPhone <laughs> if we had gone overseas. So it was shot in January 2016 and did you say it was 20 days? Yeah, 20 in total. I think like a maybe a 19-day straight shoot with one day off and then we had a pickup day. Okay, and uh, are you allowed to reveal your budget or...? It's a micro-budget film. <laughs> That's all we'll say right now. Okay, fair enough. Uh, well, was it an intentional choice to have a heavily female crew, obviously writer and director, both um, female, your director of photography, Emma Payne, and your editor, Christine Chung, all Chung. female. So was mm. it intentional? Yeah, it was always our intention. I, I mean, I don't know that we actually ever sat down and had a specific conversation about making it female, but I think as, I mean, as soon as we decided to do this, I called Emma and because we, we'd been working together and she came on instantly and I think as we just started collect, to collect those key crew, it really quickly became females that we trusted and we wanted to work with. But it wasn't as though we, you know... We didn't exclude males decided, deliberately. Yeah, yeah. So, to, we also had, you know, male crew. Well, yeah, we had lots of male crew, but mostly female. In the key roles, yeah. Or key, well, except sound. Sound was... Um, but we also had a female boom operator. Yeah, it, it was very. I think it was a deliberate choice. It didn't come out of a want to go like, oh, let's have a great marketing tool. Let's be female driven. But I think also from working on enough sets, I really, uh, I was really selective about who we had as our crew, knowing that we would be working so intimately together for that period of time. And I think our choices just kind of naturally tended towards. Mm -hmm. It was people's energy and people's personality, and they just happened to mostly be female. <laughs> 
Well, I read this today. Um, Me Before You's director, uh, Thea Sharrock, she spoke uh, about the lack of female directors in Hollywood, and she said, I think it's absolutely insane. I don't think I've ever gotten a job because I'm a woman, and I really hope I've never not gotten a job because I'm a woman, but those figures need to be addressed. And she said, if we can turn the dial in the positive direction, that would be great. And I just thought I would congratulate you guys. I know this isn't Hollywood, but you are turning the dial in a positive direction. And I mean, also, I mean, it it really needs to turn because if you look at what Emma, our DOP, achieved in 20 days as a very small person, like Emma is tiny, and herself and Christy, um, like the first AC, they completely film this thing as a two-woman camera crew. They completely gaffed it. We had no gaffes. So normally, like, they filled, they filled the roles that some of the biggest, burliest men on set would usually do. And for 20 straight days, these two women, we got, and we got a second AC on at one point, Henry, but for the most part, these two women achieve what, like, you know, three units would normally achieve and mostly male units would achieve. Claire, were you needed on set to do any rewrites? Did anything change at all? Well, I mean, I was on set anyway as a producer. I tried to stay very much out of <laughs> because it was it was a very surreal experience. But I don't know that we did any rewrites. We'd done because we'd done so much work on the script, and Joe had done work on the script after rehearsals with the actors as well. I do remember there's a a scene where the main character writes a play. And Joe came in where I was, you know, doing producerly things on my computer and she's like, right, we're going to, we've got some spare time. So we're just going to shoot him writing his play today, but we need to have his actual play. And I, this is the first time I, it had occurred to either of us that we would actually need words on his computer. So she's like, hey, we've got one hour, you've got one hour, write a play. <laughs> and that was about the most stressful hour of my life because I've never written a play. <laughs> well, you know, you by, know a, by a 35 year old man um, and then I don't think we ended up using it at all and that, that ended up on the floor yeah yeah, literally it wasn't a very good play it was a well formatted play thank you <laughs> I think it was actually the Zelos script just formatted like a play that is not true <laughs> that is not true I put, a, I put a lot of work into that play I believe you Claire I believe you, you. Get <laughs> so the stage play well I mean it's a possibility I mean these things happen yeah. well put us on the set Joanne were there any really challenging moments where you looked around and well you weren't overwhelmed but oh, no, um, it, was. <laughs> it, was it was pretty overwhelming it was like every day was overwhelming <laughs> But now you can look back and say that it's done, obviously. Yeah, I think I've erased patches from my memory. <laughs> no, no, it was really, I mean, overall it was wonderful. Everything, all of these processes have its challenges. I think, like I said, I mean, we all worked so well as a team together. Um, and I know that sounds corny, but we really did. Like I've, I've had experiences where the team doesn't work and this definitely wasn't one of those. I think one of the biggest challenges for me and I guess for the other filmmakers watching Generally, when you're making shorts and music videos and things, most scenes are kind of two-handers or it's just, you know, one person on, you know, on screen. If you're doing music videos, not even dialogue-driven. But the biggest challenge, if there was like a trickiest day on set, would be the group dining scenes. 
So just even as a director to go from doing mostly two or three-hander scenes to stepping up to like a five or six people scene. Um, and I mean, you watch enough behind the scenes of, of Hollywood films and any dining room scene, they could take, you know, three days to film it or up to a week to film it to get the coverage that you need. Um, and being on a micro budget where and a micro schedule, it was a very chaotic day filming those those dining room scenes, the dining table scenes that we have, because we only had about half a day allocated for it. And I think realistically we needed two full days to do it. So it just makes everybody's life chaotic when we have to move so fast. So I would, as a piece of advice to filmmakers, I would say over schedule any group scenes, any dining team scenes in particular, and really plan them like to a T. Like, I mean, we plan, Emma and I planned most things but we I don't think either of us understood what we were getting in for with those I mean I think we did a great job in the end but those days were quite chaotic just to manage I think as a director also it's one thing to be watching one or two people on screen and watching the performance and the coverage and and we didn't have a script supervisor so I'm also you know being that role and being able to watch all of those things watching two performances and you know things in the background but to be able to watch five people in a wide on a small monitor and actually be able to critically, you know, evaluate that is a is a different thing. So that that was probably one of the biggest challenges. Like we we definitely got there, but it, that was the steepest learning curve. And as advice to screenwriters, I'd say don't write those scenes. Yeah, and as directors, I'd say cut those scenes. <laughs> and I'd also say don't write any costume changes, don't write any party scenes. And actually, yeah. if you want to make the film yourself, just set it in one room yeah. and with one character talking to themselves. And all during the daytime. Yeah. <laughs> and God's sake, don't let them shave their beard. No, no. Well, that was the biggest thing. See, in the original screenplay, Bernard went through this huge shift of beard changes. You so know. The, 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 the two words in the script that gave us the most, like, it seems <laughs> stupid, but it gave, us a, it gave us months of nightmares, was Bernard Shaves. Mm-hmm. And we spent so many days and weeks of our lives talking about how we could make Bernard shave without <laughs> and shoot in all these locations and not have to go back to them twice on our budget and, and all of and yeah. the amount of time that I spent thinking about that man's facial hair. Yeah. Until we realized we could actually just delete those yeah. words because we were the filmmakers. <laughs> we were allowed. So now he doesn't shave. He doesn't no, shave. No, he, he has a shaving moment, but no <laughs> hair disappears. It's a, it's a grooming moment. Yeah. Grooms. But we just changed Bernard <laughs> Shaves to, to Bernard, Bernard Grooms. grooms. <laughs> well, that's good for continuity. Yeah. I think if we didn't have a continuity person, it was a crucial <laughs> <Yes>. cut. <laughs> Did you consider shooting the dining room table like Tarantino in Reservoir Dogs and just going around continuously? We- to consider shooting anything like Tarantino. <laughs> no, well, see, what made it hard was that we were also in a dining room that really should only ever seat about two people. <laughs> so to fit six in there, we actually had nowhere to move, nowhere we could have moved. Like, and there was, was a big just, reflective window. And a window covering us. <laughs> and windows actually both sides, like glass doors on the other side. So, yeah. So, no. No. that. <laughs> Well, uh, Zealous looks like it comments on the current state of romance, you know, swiping left or right. Have either of you had to date in the current climate? Let me answer this one. <laughs> so we actually um, use Tinder to get extras for our <laughs> This is actually my most 
successful um, experience with Tinder yet. For one of our party scenes, it got to about 8 p.m. and we started panicking that we weren't going to have enough extras turned up. Turn up. So um, the associate producer, David, and I decided that the quickest way to get people <laughs> to get people to, to come to, the, to where we were shooting was to swipe. Is it left or right? Right. right. Swipe right. So we, we, um, we recruited that way. Wow. That's fantastic. I've never heard that. That's really good. <laughs> and I've never had a Tinder account, so I was useless in it. Wow. Tell us about actually, the... On that, sorry to interrupt, right. we actually, that was actually the most research I did for this was learning how Tinder worked because the idea we, we um, like the, our associate producer, David, and I like, like designed the actual app that you see on screen, like our own version of Tinder. Um, so I actually <laughs> had to like borrow people's Claire's phone and go into Tinder account and actually I only learn how it works. Tinder for this screenplay. <laughs> I swear. Okay, well, um, tell us about the funding for Zealous. You guys currently need some finances to finish the film. We're in post production now. Yeah, so we're at rough cut stage. Um, so we we wanted to do that so that we would have something to show. We'd have our trailer, so we'd be able to pitch people. But we ran out of money. Um, I mean, we never had the money for post. Our plan was always to try and raise it. So really what we need is to just that little bit more to get us to final cut. And then we've got our amazing composer, Roger Mason, who, um, yeah, he's worked on amazing things like My Place. And uh, he's, you know, done some huge productions, but he's been a supporter of mine from the beginning of my career. Um, So we have all of our amazing crew in place for post. We just need, they're all doing it for crazy discounted rates as well. So we just need... A little bit of cash to be able to pull our colorist on, our composer on, and sound design, um, and just push us through a couple of more weeks of edit to get to final cut, and we'd be good. Uh, well, we're going to put a link to how you guys can donate on our Facebook and on our website, podmeifyoucan.com. You'll probably find that in the description of this episode if you've downloaded it. Uh, so let's, you know, donate if we can, guys, and get this film finished. So is the next step to put it into festivals or yeah so our plan is to send it to major independent film festivals around the world like, like south Sundance. by southwest will probably be our first port of call and all those films we talked about um with the mumble core and a lot of independent films that have have really used that as a, a launching pad for their careers so that's what we hope to do with it claire uh, what novel will you be working on after this I don't think I, I actually don't think I was ever meant to be a novelist. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm working on, I'm working on a play actually. Okay. <laughs> Is that inspired by that one hour you did? <laughs> Not in any way using any of the material from my one hour, but just because, because I really like to write dialogue, which was how I, I managed, I ended up writing a screenplay instead of a, instead of a novel. So I thought I'd try my hand at that. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we really hope we can see this film this year, guys. You will. You will. Well, I'm sure we'll, we can do lots of plugs along the way and um, keep people informed about your journey and with Zealous. Thank you so much. And look, thanks very much for um, taking the time and sitting down. You've been very generous and we wish you the best of luck. Thanks, thanks a so lot. Much. And that's the interview. Joanne and Claire were very generous with their time, Lloyd. Um, I found them both charming. Now I'm looking forward to seeing their film 
sell us, uh, which we need the help of our listeners to get financed. And uh, we've put the links on our Facebook page, in the description of this episode on our website, podmeifyoucan.com. You guys can find them at zealousthemovie.com and uh, help us get it financed. Hey, Lloyd. Yeah, absolutely, guys. If you guys can help out, that'll be absolutely wonderful. You know, you put forward your hard-earned money into the Kickstarter and you you help producing an independent film, which is I I think is absolutely fantastic. And as mentioned in the interview, it's all tax deductible. So you're doing a good thing and it's coming back to you mid-year, you know, that's coming up. Uh, All right, guys, we'll uh, talk to you next time on Podme if you can. I know I've hurt you, but if you could just feel how little it means... So what? I screw someone else and we all live happily ever after. Bernard is writing a book. Remember, have fun in there. The first step is dressing like a writer. Why did he just get rid of her? Break up with her. No. I'm broke. Look around you, man. There's five girls to every guy in this city. Can you imagine how enriched a relationship would be if both parties had the freedom to be unfaithful? Everything will be fine. He just has to do it. Basically, it's like a game of hot on not. Right for hot, left for not. When you tell a person to do a thing, how many times are they supposed to do that thing? How many times does a person want to do that thing? Are you older or younger than 40? I'm younger. A lot younger. Let's go back to your place and get naked. You know something? I liked you better as a sap. Did you order the cactus? Yep. Me too. I think we may have sunk the Titanic. Good thing you didn't get the cat.